Chapter Twenty of Clementina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Clementina by A. E. W. Mason. Chapter Twenty. The God of the Machine does not appear. Wogan went from the parlor and climbed out of the house by the rope ladder. He left it hanging at the window and walked up the glimmering road, a ribbon of ghostly white between dim hills. It was then about half-past twelve of the night, and not a feather of cloud stained the perfection of the sky. It curved above his head, spangled like a fair lady's fan, and unfathomably blue like Clementina's eyes when her heart stirred in their depths. He reached the little footway and turned into the upward cleft of the hills. He walked now into the thick night of a close-grown clump of dwarf oaks, which weaved so dense a thatch above his head that he knocked against the boles. The trees thinned. He crossed here and there a dimpled lawn in the pure starshine. He traversed a sparse grove of larches in the dreamy twilight. He came out again upon the grassy lip of a mountain torrent which henceforth kept him company, and which, speaking with many voices, seemed a friend trying to catch his mood. For here it leaped over an edge of rock, and here in a tiny waterfall, and splashed into a pellucid pool, and the reverberating noise filled the dell with a majestic din. There it ran smoothly, kissing its banks with a murmur of contentment, embosoming the stars. Beyond it chafed hoarsely between narrow walls, and again half a mile higher up it sang on shallows and evaded the stones with a tinkling laugh. But Wogan was deaf to the voices. He mounted higher. The trees ceased. He came into a desolate country of boulders, and the higher he ascended, the more heavily he walked. He stopped and washed his face and hands clean of bloodstains in the stream. Above him, and not very far away, was the lonely hut. He came upon it quite suddenly, for the path climbed steeply at the back, and slipping from the mouth of a narrow gully he stood upon the edge of a small plateau, in the centre of which stood the cabin, a little house of pinewood built with some decoration and elegance. One unglazed window was now unshuttered, and the light from a lantern streamed out of it in a yellow fan, marking the segment of a circle upon the rough rocky ground, and giving to the dusk of the starshine a sparkle of gold. Through the window Wogan could see into the room. It was furnished simply but with an eye to comfort. He saw, too, the girl he had dared to bear off from the thick of a hostile town, she was lying upon a couch, her head resting upon her folded arms. She was asleep, and in a place most solitary. Behind the cabin rose a black forest of pines, pricking the sky with their black spires, and in front of it the ground fell sharply to the valley, in which no light gleamed. Beyond the valley rose the dim hills again, nor was there any sound except the torrent. The air at this height was keen and fresh with a smell of primeval earth. Wogan hitched his cloak about his throat, and his boots rang upon the rock. The princess raised her head. Wogan walked to the door and stood for a little with his hand upon the latch. He lifted it and entered. Clementina looked at him for a moment, and curiously. 
she had no questions as to how his struggle with the governor of Trent's emissaries had fared wogan could understand by some unspoken sympathy that that matter had no place in her thoughts she stood up in an attitude of expectation it grows towards morning said she in two hours we shall have the dawn he replied and there was a silence between them you found this cabin open said wogan the door was latched i loosed a shutter the night is very still one might fancy there were no others alive but you and me across all the width of the world one could wish it she said beneath her breath and crossed to the window where she stayed breathing the fresh night the sigh however had reached to wogan's ears he took his pistols from his belt and to engage his thoughts loaded the one which had been fired at him after a little he looked up and saw that Clementina's eyes dwelt upon him with that dark, steady look which held always so much of mystery and told always one thing plainly, her lack of fear. And she said suddenly, "'There was trouble at Perry. I climbed from the window. I had almost forgotten. As I ran down the road past the open court, I saw a little group of men gathered about the foot of the staircase.' I was in two minds whether to come back and load your pistols or to obey you. I obeyed, but I was in much fear for you. I had almost forgotten, it seems, so long ago. Tell me, you conquered, it is no new thing. Tell me how. She did not move from the window. She kept her eyes fixed upon Wogan while he told his story, but it was quite clear to him that she did not hear one half of it and when he had done she said how long is it till the morning wogan had spun his tale out but half an hour enclosed it from the beginning to the end he became silent again but he was aware at once that silence was more dangerous than speech for in the silence he could hear both their hearts speaking he began hurriedly to talk of their journey and there could be no more insidious topic for him to light upon for he spoke of the road and he had already been given a warning that to the romance of the road her heart turned like a compass needle to the north they were both gypsies for all that they had no egyptian blood that southward road from innsbruck was much more than a mere highway of travel between a starting place and a goal even to these two to whom the starting place meant peril and the goal the first opportunity of sleep even in our short journey said clementina how it climbed hillsides angle upon angle how it swept through the high solitudes of ice where no trees grow where silence lives how it dropped down into green valleys and the noise of streams and it still sweeps on through dark and light a glimmer at night a glare in the midday between lines of poplars hidden amongst vines through lighted cities down to venice and the sea if one could travel it never retracing a step pitching a tent by the roadside when one willed that were freedom she stopped with a remarkable abruptness she turned her eyes out of the window for a little then again she asked how long till morning but one more hour she came back into the room and seated herself at the table 
"'You gave me some hint at Innsbruck of an adventurous ride from Olau, "'and she drew her breath sharply at the word "'as though the name with all its associations struck her a blow. "'Into Strasbourg. Tell me its history. So will this hour pass.' "'He told her as he walked about the room, "'though his heart was not in the telling, nor hers in the hearing, "'until he came to relate the story of his escape from the inn "'a mile or so beyond Stuttgart.' He described how he hid in the garden, how he crossed the rich level of lawn to the lighted window, how to his surprise he was admitted without a question by an old bookish gentleman, and thereupon he ceased so suddenly that Clementina turned her head aside and listened. "'Did you hear a step?' she asked in a low voice. "'No.' And they both listened. No noise came to their ears but the brawling of the torrent. That, however, filled the room, drowning all the natural murmurs of the night. "'Indeed, one would not hear a company of soldiers,' said Clementina. She crossed to the window. "'Yet you heard my step, and it waked you,' said Wogan, as he followed her. "'I listened for it in my sleep,' said she. For the second time that night they stood side by side, looking upon darkness and the spangled sky. Only there was no courtyard with its signs of habitation. Clementina drew herself away suddenly from the sill. Wogan at once copied her example. "'You saw?' he began. "'No one,' said she, bending her dark eyes full upon him. "'Will you close the shutter?' Wogan drew back instinctively. He had a sense that this open window, though there was no one to spy through it, was in some way a security. Suppose that he closed it that mere act of shutting himself and her apart, though it gave not one atom more of privacy, still had a semblance of giving it. He was afraid. He said, "'There is no need. Who should spy on us? What would it matter if we were spied upon? I ask you to close that shutter.' From the quiet level voice he could infer nothing of the thought behind the request, and her unwavering eyes told him nothing." why because i am afraid as you are said she and she shivered you would not have it shut i am afraid while it stays open there is too much expectation in the night those great black pines stand waiting the stars are very bright and still they wait holding their breath it seems to me the whirl of the earth has stopped never was there a night so hushed in expectation and these words too she spoke without a falter or a lifting note breathing easily like a child asleep and not changing her direct gaze from wogan's face i am afraid she continued of you and me i am the more afraid and wogan set the shutter in its place and let the bar fall clementina with a breath of relief came back to her seat at the table how long is it till dawn she said "'We have half an hour,' said Wogan. "'Well, that old man, Count von Allen, you said, "'received you, heaped logs upon his fire, "'staunched your wounds, and asked no questions. "'Well, you stopped suddenly. Tell me all.' "'Wogan looked doubtfully at her "'and then quickly seated himself over against her. "'All? I will. It will be no new thing to you.' and as Clementina raised her eyes curiously to his, he met her gaze, 
and so spoke the rest, looking at her with her own direct gaze. Why did he ask no questions, seeing me disordered, wounded, a bandit, for all he knew, with a murder on my hands? Because thirty years before, Count Philip Christopher von Königsmark had come in just that same way over the lawn to the window, and had sat by that log-fire and charmed the old gentleman into an envy by his incomparable elegance and wit. Königsmark exclaimed the girl. She knew the history of that brilliant and baleful adventurer at the court of Hanover. He came as you did and wounded? The Princess Sophia Dorothea was visiting the Duke of Württemberg, Wogan explained, and Clementina nodded. Count Otto von Allen, my host, he continued, had a momentary thought that I was Königsmark, mysteriously returned as he had mysteriously vanished, and through these thirty years' retention of his youth, Count Otto could never think of Königsmark but as a young man, and tossed in a froth of passion. He would have it to the end that I had escaped from such venture as had Königsmark. He would have it my wounds were the mere offset of a love well worth them. He would envy me. Passion, said he, without passion there can be no great thing. And the saying lived in your thoughts, cried Clementina. I do not wonder. Without passion there can be no great thing. Can books teach a man so much? Nay, it was an hour's talk with Königsmark which set the old man's thoughts that way, and though Königsmark talked never so well, I would not likely infer from his talk an eternal and universal truth. Count Otto left me alone while he fetched me food, and he left me in a panic. A panic, said Clementina with a little laugh. You? Yes, that first mistake of me for Königsmark, that insistence that my case was Königsmark's. "'There was a shadow of truth in it, even then?' said Clementina, suddenly leaning across the table towards him. Wogan strove not to see the light of her joy suddenly sparkling in her eyes. "'I sat alone, feeling the ghost of Königsmark in the room with me,' he resumed quickly, and his voice dropped, and he looked round the little cabin. Clementina looked round quickly, too. Then their eyes met again. I heard his voice menacing me. For love of a queen I lived, for love of a queen I died most horribly, and it would have gone better with the queen had she died the same death at the same time. And Clementina interrupted him with a cry which was fierce. Ah, who can say that and know it for the truth except the queen? You must ask her in her prison at Alden, and that you cannot do. She has her memories, maybe. Maybe she has built herself within these thirty years a world of thoughts so real it makes her jailers shadows, and that prison a place of no account, save that it gives her solitude, and is so more desirable than a palace. I can imagine it. And then she stopped, and her voice dropped to the low tone which Wogan had used. You looked round you but now, and most fearfully, is Königsmark's spirit here? No, exclaimed Wogan, I would to God it were. I would I felt its memories chilling me as they chilled me that night. But I cannot, I cannot as much as hear a whisper. All the heavens are dumb, he cried. And the earth waits, said Clementina.
She did not move. Neither did Wogan. They both sat still as statues. They had come to the great crisis of their destiny, a change of posture, a gesture, an assumed expression which might avert the small, the merely awkward indiscretions of the tongue, they both knew to be futile. It was in the mind of each of them that somehow without their participation the truth would out that night, for the dawn was so long in coming. "'All the way up from Perry,' said Wogan suddenly, "'I strove to make real to myself the ignominy, the odium, the scandal.' "'But you could not,' said Clementina, with a nod of comprehension, "'as though that inability was a thing familiar to her. "'When I reached the hut and saw that fan of light spreading out from the window "'as it spread over the lawn beyond Stuttgart, "'I remembered Otto von Allen and his talk of Königsmark. "'I tried to hear the menaces.' but you could not. No, I saw you through the window, he cried, stretched out upon that couch, supple and young and sweet. I saw the lamplight on your hair, searching out the gold in its dark brown. I could only remember how often I have at nights wakened and reached out my hands in the vain dream that they would meet in its thick coils, that I should feel its silk curl and nestle about my fingers. There's the truth out, though it's a familiar truth to you ever since I held you in my arms beneath the stars upon the road to Allah. It was known to me a day before, said she, but it was known to you so long ago as that night in the garden. Oh, before then, cried Wogan. When? Let the whole truth be known, since we know so much. Why, on that first day at Olau, in the great hall, I stood by the fire and raised my head, and our eyes met. I do remember. But I had no thought ever to let you know. I was the king's man-at-arms, as I am now. And he burst into a harsh laugh. Here's madness. The king's man-at-arms dumps him down in the king's chair. I had a thought to live to you, if you understand, as a man writes a poem to his mistress, to make my life the poem, an unsigned poem that you would never read, and yet unsigned, unread, would make its creator glad and fill his days. And here's the poem. And at that a great cry of terror leaped from Clementina's lips and held them both aghast. Wogan had risen from his seat. With a violent gesture he had thrown back his cloak, and his coat beneath was stained and dark with blood. Clementina stood opposite to him, all her quiet and her calmness gone. There was no longer any mystery in her eyes. Her bosom rose and fell. She pointed a trembling hand towards his breast. "'You are hurt. Again, for love of me, you are hurt.' "'It is not my wound,' he answered. "'It is blood I spilt for you.' He took a step towards her, and in a second she was between his arms, sobbing with all the violence of passion which she had so long restrained. Wogan was wrung by it. That she should weep at all was a thought strange to him. That he should cause the tears was a sorrow which tortured him. He touched her hair with his lips. He took her by the arms and would have set her apart, but she clung to him, hiding her face, and the sobs shook her. Her breast was strained against him, he felt the beating of her heart. A fever ran through all his blood, and as he held her close, a queer inconsequential thought came into his mind. It shocked him, and he suddenly held her off. "'The blood upon my coat is wet,' he cried. "'The odium, 
the scandal of a flight which would make her name a byword from london to budapest that he could envisage but that this blood upon his coat should stain the dress she wore no he saw indeed that the bodice was smeared a dark red see the blood stains you he cried why then i share it she answered with a ringing voice of pride i share it with you and she smiled through her tears and a glowing blush brightened upon her face she stood before him erect and beautiful through wogan's mind there tripped a procession of delicate ladies who would swoon gracefully at the sight of a pricked finger that's john sobieski speaking he exclaimed and with an emphasis of despair poland's king but i was mad indeed i blame myself blame she cried passionately her whole nature rising in revolt against the word are we to blame we are man and woman who shall cast the stone are you to blame for that you love me who shall blame you not i who thank you from my heart am i to blame what have we hearts for then if not to love i have a thought it may be very wrong i do not know i do not trouble to think that i should be more to blame did i not love you too there's the word spoken at last and she lowered her head even at that moment her gesture struck upon wogan as strange it occurred to him that he had never before seen her drop her eyes from his he had an intuitive fancy that she would never do it but as a deliberate token of submission nor was he wrong her next words told him it was her white flag of surrender i believe the spoken truth is best she said simply in a low voice which ever so slightly trembled unspoken and yet known by both of us i think it would breed thoughts and humours we are best without unspoken our eyes would question each to other at every meeting there would be no health in our thoughts but here's the truth out and i am glad in whichever way you find its consequence she stood before him with her head bent she made no movement save with her hands which worked together slowly and gently in whichever way i repeated wogan yes she answered there is bologna say that bologna is our goal i shall go with you to bologna there is venice and the sea bid me go then hoist a poor scrap of sail in an open boat i shall adventure over the wide seas with you what will you do wogan drew a long breath the magnitude of the submission paralyzed him the picture which she evoked was one to blind him as with a glory of sunlight he remained silent for a while then he said timidly there is olau the girl shivered the name meant her father her mother their grief the disgrace upon her home but she answered only with her question what will you do you would lose a throne he said and even while he spoke was aware that such a plea had not with her now the weight of thistledown you would become the mock of europe you that are its wonder and he saw the corner of her lip curve in a smile of scorn what will you do she asked and he ceased to argue it was he who must decide she willed it so he turned towards the door of the hut and opened it as he passed through he heard her move behind 
and looking over his shoulder he saw that she leaned down upon the table and kissed the pistol which he had left loaded there he stepped out of the cabin and closed the door behind him the dark blue of the sky had faded to a pure and pearly color a colorless gray light invaded it the pale stars were drowning and all about him the trees shivered to the morning wogan walked up and down that little plateau torn by indecision inside the sheltered cabin sat waiting the girl whose destiny was in his hands he had a sentence to speak and by it the flow of all her years would be irrevocably ordered she had given herself over to him she with her pride her courage her endurance wogan had seen too closely into her heart to bring any foolish charge of unmaidenliness against her no the very completeness of her submission raised her to a higher pinnacle if she gave herself she did so without a condition or a reserve body and bone heart and soul wogan knew amongst the women of his time many who made their bargain with their world buying a semblance of esteem with a double payment of lies this girl stood apart from them she loved therefore she entrusted herself simply to the man she loved and bade him dispose of her that very simplicity was another sign of her strength she was the more priceless on account of it he went back into the hut through the chinks of the shutter the morning stretched a grey finger the room was filled with a vaporous twilight we travel to bologna said he i will not have you wasted other women may slink into kennels and stop their ears not you the king is true to you you are for the king she had not argued before she did not argue now she nodded her head and fastened her cloak about her throat she followed him out of the hut and down the gorge in the northeast the sky already flamed and the sun was up before they reached the road they walked silently towards perry and wogan was wondering whether in her heart she despised him when she stopped i am to marry the king said she yes said wogan but you she said with her brows in a frown there is no compulsion on you to marry any one wogan was relieved of his fears he broke into a laugh to which she made no reply she still waited frowning for his answer no woman he said will ride on my black horse into my city of dreams you may be very sure i will not marry no i would not have you married wogan laughed again but clementina was very serious that she had no right to make any such claim did not occur to her she was merely certain and resolved that wogan must not marry she did not again refer to the matter nor could she have done so had she wished for a little later and while they were not yet come to perry they were hailed from behind and turning about they saw gaydon and o'toole riding after them o'toole had his story to tell gaydon and he had put the courier to bed and taken his clothes and his money and after the fellow had waked up they had sat for a day in the bedroom keeping him quiet and telling the landlord he was very ill o'toole finished his story as they came to perry they went boldly to the servo inn where all traces of the night's conflict had been removed and neither wogan nor the landlady thought it prudent to make any mention of the matter 
they waited for Messay and his wife, who came the next day, and thus reunited, they passed one evening into the streets of Bologna and stopped at the Pilgrim Inn. End of chapter 20